0: Not exactly vintage Arsenal, but it's six points from six after victory at Selhurst Park and Declan Rice putting in his best performance yet in an Arsenal shirt. We'll be breaking the game down right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? How are you all doing? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, and on this episode, we're going to be looking back at Crystal Palace nil, Arsenal 1 in the Premier League. As I said in the intro there, not exactly vintage Arsenal, but three points all the same. That's six from six. Um, Declan Rice, I thought was brilliant. William Saliba, I thought was brilliant. I even think Eddie Nketiah had a really good game. I know not everybody agrees on that, but we'll get into the reasons why a little bit later on uh, as well. Good to see uh, lots of you in the live chat. Good to see uh, lots of you uh, interacting. And um, a big hello to everybody that will be watching this back later or listening to this back later on all of the audio platforms. Um how are we all doing? Tuesday morning. Feels weird doing a match review on a Tuesday morning, but hey, it is what it is. I, I did consider doing the pod last night when I got home from Selhurst Park. Now, as you guys will know, from North London to South London, it's quite the journey. Not the easiest journey either, Selhurst Park, in terms of the links. Not because it's a difficult place to get to generally. It's just not one that suits where I'm coming from. So A lot of train changes and all the rest of it, which makes that journey take far longer than it should. By the time I got in, I think it was about quarter to one in the morning. I was hanging around after the game, getting the interviews that I needed uh, for the radio. Roy Hodgson took an age to come. Um, Mikel Arteta took an age to come. We thought we might get an Arsenal player as well. So we were hanging around and then (laughs) that didn't happen. Uh, So, yeah. And then by the time I got home, it was so late and I was so tired and I thought, well, I'm not going to do a very good job of this. So let's do it in the morning and let's do it properly. Um, As I say, lots to break down. We're going to talk about Arsenal's resilience. We're going to talk about the performance overall. Of course, we're going to discuss Kai Havertz because everybody wants to discuss Kai Havertz all the time, uh, particularly since he joined Arsenal. Um, We're going to be discussing the team selection, uh, Arsenal's control at times, uh, how it nearly got away from them, the sending off, which... I think we can all agree was ridiculous uh, and plenty more. We'll also take some of your thoughts and questions a little bit later on in the podcast as well. If I could just ask you before we go on, please do leave a like on the video and do subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Look, we better get on with it because we might pick up a yellow card for time wasting if we don't. So uh, let's dive into it without further ado. Now, my overall feeling off the back of that game was... Obviously, a positive one. Obviously, I'm delighted that we managed to get all three points. And obviously, I'm delighted that we've gone to a place like Selhurst Park, which can be quite difficult to go to. Roy Hodgson, I don't think, had lost the game at Selhurst Park since he took over in March, um, which shows you how much he turned it into a fortress, which was enough to get Crystal Palace in the end uh, comfortably away from the relegation zone, having taken over uh, for a second time, replacing Patrick Vieira. Obviously, I'm happy. But there were a lot of things that I didn't like in that performance. And if I pretended that I thought everything was 100%, I'd be lying. If I pretended that I thought, you know, we were a bit poor at times or, or that we weren't poor at times, I should say, I'd be lying. I wasn't totally satisfied with the performance. Obviously, the last 23 minutes plus the whatever it was, seven minutes of stoppage times, time. So ultimately, the last half an hour of the game is different and is altered and is impacted by the fact that Tommy Asu got sent off. But I still, even prior to that, felt that there were elements of our game that weren't quite good enough. And I'm going to get into that on this edition of the podcast. I'm not being Mr. Negative. I just think it's right or it's fair to highlight certain areas and certain points. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Arsenal will be doing that internally to to make sure that they're better next time out. You know, we've beaten Nottingham Forest now and we've beaten Crystal Palace in neither game was I totally convinced by the performance. And it's kind of a double edged sword, right? Because I've seen some people saying, well, you know, we've got six points on the board, but I've been underwhelmed by Arsenal so far this season. And if we don't improve, then we're going to end up dropping points. And if we don't improve, then there's no chance that we can compete with Manchester City in the way that we did last season and there's certainly no chance that we're going to go one further and pip them to the title. But the other side of it is well we're still getting to grips with a new system in a lot of ways. We're still getting to grips with some of our new players. We're putting people into different roles that maybe aren't necessarily what they've been used to which obviously creates a transition which needs to be managed and and needs to be understood. You could also argue that we peaked too early last season and as long as we're picking up the points who really cares what the performances are like I think you can get confidence from different ways so for example you can you know you can go out and I beg your pardon you can go out and blow a team away and obviously that will give you confidence and you know that will give you that kind of that what's the word that swagger that that feeling of you know you're something special you're doing well it can give you that spring in your step is was the phrase i was looking for um or you can go and win a game like we did last night where your backs are up against the wall at certain points where it does become a little bit tricky where the circumstances conspire against you i.e we went down to 10 men and you come out with all three points, that can be just as much of a boost. It's a different type of boost, but it, it can be packaged up in a positive way as well. Look, Let's start off with Mikel Arteta's team selection, Um, because I have to say I didn't expect this. I didn't expect Arsenal to go to Crystal Palace and set up the same way they did at home to Nottingham Forest. I thought that Mikel Arteta would show Crystal Palace a bit more respect. I thought that You know, what we saw against Forrest was one of those things that you go, well, you can get away with that at home against a side that are expected to be in the bottom half of the table. But once you go on the road, things are different and you're actually leaving yourself susceptible um, to being caught out. I understand the idea behind the way that Mikel wants us to play right now, I understand that the whole name of the game is dominance and control. And by pushing Thomas Partey into midfield and essentially leaving that back three of White, Saliba and Tomiyasu, which is why you have a left back that is really a centre back. It's why you have a right back that is actually a midfielder, right? It's so that you can make that shift. But I do think it leaves us open to issues. And I think that because we were up against a Crystal Palace side that with all due respect are a little bit toothless up front, we got away with it. I don't think you could go to, I don't know, Aston Villa, for example. I'm not even talking about the very, very elite teams. I don't think you could go to Aston Villa and play this way and get away with it. I think that there I would ask serious questions. Maybe I'll be proved wrong over time. Maybe Mikel Arteta has got this spot on. Only time is going to tell. But Although we've had the dominance in terms of ball control, I don't think we've been as potent going forward. I don't think we've been able to penetrate the opposition as much as, you know, we would have done last season. I think when Zinchenko comes back to fitness, obviously he got on the pitch last night, but didn't play very long, given that he's still working his way back to fitness. Then I think you go back to White at right back. You put Saliba and Gabriel at centre-half. And then you put Zinchenko back at left back. You get back to inverting from that left-hand side. You put Rice, Partey and Odegaard in midfield and you go that way. That's what I would do. So I do wonder what Mikel's going to do when Zinchenko is ready and and, uh, available from the start again. You know, maybe he'll say, well, this is working. We're picking up points, so I'll stick with it. But I would like to see us at this moment in time, just because of what I think it does to our overall game. I would like to see us go back to that back four that served us so well last season. So I would like to see Zinchenko come back in. I'd like to see him go into midfield alongside Partey, who's already there, um, alongside Rice. And of course, with Martin Odegaard playing that slightly more advanced role. And for me, the casualty in the team in terms of the player that would make way in that instance would be Kai Havertz. And again, a lot of people aren't going to like that um, because there seems to be this divide as to how well he's performing at the moment. We'll come on to habits in detail a little bit later on. But I just think that, yes, it's great to have flexibility and it's great to be versatile and it's great to be able to produce different problems uh, for your opposition to try and contend with. Obviously, when you prepare for a match, you know, you'll you'll have an idea of what your opponent is going to set out to do. And if you can spring changes, not just in the build up to games, but in game as well, that can be really, really helpful and a really, really powerful tool uh, in order to keep things fresh and, and keep people guessing. But yeah, I, I I don't know that I like this, the way it's working right now overall. And I know people would disagree with that, but we just don't seem to be as free flowing. We seem to have a lot of the ball, but it's slow. Um, it's slow paced. It's possession around about the halfway line in the middle third. We're not penetrating as much. And again, You know, we're facing low blocks and that makes that difficult. And ultimately, the reason that I believe Mikel's gone this way and sort of judging by the comments he's made on this is because he's sat and thought long and hard about how we're going to deal with the low blocks that we're facing even more frequently now than we were at the start of last season. Because we, you know, we started last season like a house on fire. We caught a lot of people by surprise. The Zinchenko thing was a big boost. Jesus added a totally different dynamic to our forward line, which really, really helped. And it caught people out. And as the season went on, we started to face more and more low blocks and people started to frustrate us. And in the end, towards the back end of the campaign, obviously we fell away a little bit, probably more so for defensive reasons than anything else. But the point I'm trying to make here is that people know what Arsenal are now. People knew going into this season that Arsenal would be a real force. People are showing us more respect as a result of that. Maybe not the officials, but opposition teams. And as a result of that, we've got different problems to deal with and different solutions uh, that need to be found. But anyway, obviously the big talking point from that team was Gabriel being left out. And conveniently, and I always tell you guys this, that you get rumours dropping at certain times at times of convenience because that is when that story is going to fly, right? Team news comes out. Gabriel's not in the starting eleven for the second consecutive Premier League game, which if you told me was going to be the case going into the season, I'd have laughed at you because of how much of a strong partnership he and William Saliba have managed to forge. But Gabriel gets left out of the team. All of a sudden, bang, out comes a report from the Saudi Arabian journalist saying that Arsenal um, are about to let him go, that he really wants to move to Saudi Arabia, that talks of advanced. Now, Mikel Arteta shut this down in his press conference. I asked him this question after the Forest game, not with regards to Gabriel leaving, but whether or not he... Had been left out for any other reason outside of tactics, and and Mikel Arteta very quickly shut that down, and he shut it down again last night when somebody else asked a question regarding that Saudi interest. So Gabriel is not going anywhere, as far as I'm aware. I'd be shocked if he leaves, and I think it would be the wrong decision to allow him to leave at this point. So confident he stays, and confident that this is just a tactical thing. But obviously that sparked that debate. Fabrizio Romano has come out since and said that Arsenal have zero intention of selling Gabriel. It doesn't mean. There is an interest from Saudi Arabia, but they're not going to get everything they want uh, this summer. Then um, I I looked through the squad, um, through the substitutes bench, and obviously there's a few positives there, you know, to see David Raya uh, back in or or, or in for the first time, I should say is a real positive Uh, to see Reese Nelson uh, back in as well is great. Um, Obviously he's been out for a little while and, and I think Mikel, and Co would have probably been a little bit reluctant. You know, I know a lot of people have talked about us needing to go out and get another winger. I think the fact that Nelson was on the cusp of coming back, that Emil Smith-Roe can play there, that Vieira has been known to play there from time to time, uh, that you've got, you know, Trossard as well. You can't get a game at the moment. I think there would be a reluctance from Arsenal to go out and sign a winger. And I think given the injury that we've picked up um, with regards to Timber, You probably need to look at the defence first and foremost, if you're going to bring someone else in between now and the end of the window. And of course, Alexander Zinchenko returned to the bench for a Premier League game. So that was a a real big positive as well. But just look at that bench, right? Gabriel, top quality player. Smith Rowe, incredibly talented. Kivio showed himself to be solid last season when he came in. Trossard, brilliant. Jorginho, a really, really good player when you want to get control of the game. Fabio Vieira, I think is getting better and better and we'll get there. David Raya, top class goalkeeper to replace Aaron Ramsdale in the event that's necessary. Reese Nelson, impacted games off the bench last season really, really well. And Zinchenko, who, when fit, was one of our best players last season. Look at that strength in depth in comparison to what you've seen in previous years. The squad is getting better, it's getting stronger. With that comes the need to make more decisions. And the more decisions a manager needs to make, the more debate there is going to be within the fan base as to whether or not those are the right decisions. Ultimately, Mikel Arteta at this point now, having spent the money he spent, having built the squad he's built is going to live and die by his results. And at the moment we're getting results. So, you know, yes, there there were things about the performance that I didn't like. There are things about this system. I still think need ironing out. There are advantages to it, but I think there are clear disadvantages to it as well. And, um, you know, that's why this has got to be an ongoing debate so that you can, you know, it's got to be an ongoing debate internally so that you as a football club can make the right decisions and um, and the most informed decisions. But yeah, team surprised me. Um, but yeah, look, let's. Um, we're going to get into some of the key points uh, around the game. If I could just quickly ask you before uh, we do that to just leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new as well. I'm going to take a really, really short pause and then uh, we're going to... Start breaking down the game as it unfolded, of course, at Selhurst Park last night. Welcome back along to the program. I hope you're all good. I hope you're all well. Uh, good to see so many of you in the live chat. As I always say, um, the interaction is is brilliant, and I promise you we'll get to questions uh, a little bit later on in the show. I just kind of need to do my downloads so that I don't forget anything, so I don't miss anything. Um, Right. So we talked about the team selection. Now, the first half, I thought, was a half in which Arsenal exerted control. I felt like Crystal Palace broke away on a couple of occasions. I remember Ramsdale making a save where he sort of had to dive out and beat across away. I remember Saliba being in a spot of trouble, but obviously making a really, really great recovery challenge. I remember Palace showing some threat on the counterattack, but I always think like... So when you're at Selhurst Park and it is a really atmospheric stadium, for those that haven't been, it's one of my favourite places to go in the Premier League. The press box where I was situated is closer to the Holmesdale Road end, which is where the Crystal Palace Ultras are based. There are drums, there are flares, there, there's there's so much atmosphere generated from that little stand. Um, I say little stand, um, but you know what I mean? It, it, it's great. It's um, great. It's a really, really good place to be. But obviously, when the home team attacks, there's this massive roar, there's this massive cheer. And what that does, I think, when you're watching the game, even though you know this is the case, when you're in the stadium, you think, oh my God, this is closer than, than it might be in, in reality or this is more of a dangerous situation than it might be in the reality because of the the reaction of the fans. And vice versa, when we play at home, right? You know, that's that's just how it goes. Again, a bit like when I was talking about the forest game where we were panicking and we were worried about them potentially getting back into it. And you know, the fact that we were two 0 up cruising seemingly, and we almost let it get away from us. People got really panicked and, and upset about that. And the reaction I think was disproportionate to what Nottingham Forest actually created. And I want to say the same thing about Crystal Palace yesterday. What I will say about the game yesterday, I don't know if you guys can see this. Hold on. I'm going to try and share something on my phone. Um, Cause I can't, get it across to my laptop but can you see this look at this view from the press box at Selhurst Park look at that massive pillar right in front of me what a what a place to put a pillar man like I saw some of the Arsenal fans posting pictures of um, their view and saying oh my god there's a pillar in front of me look at that I had to lean left um, half the game and I had to lean right for the other half it was it was not ideal Um, but yeah anyway I think sometimes we overblow how much an opponent has hurt us in the end. Palace didn't hurt us in terms of scoring a goal. But actually, when I sort of watched the highlights back this morning, I haven't had a chance to watch the game in full just yet. But when I watched the highlights back this morning, you know, actually, what what, what did they do? What did they create? And it's that nervousness that you feel in a game that amplifies how good a chance might actually be and gives you this full sense of, I don't know, concern, I guess. When actually there doesn't need to be that. As I say, first half, I thought we were totally in control, um, with the exception of those couple of moments I mentioned. Eddie and Ketia with a couple of really good chances probably should have scored. Mikel Arteta alluded to that post match. But I'm going to come on to single him out a little bit later on. I thought Eddie was, was really effective. Now, you would say that he wasn't effective in terms of conversions, and I agree with that. But they are chances that I'm not sure other strikers would get. So, for example, the first one where his left-footed effort came back off the foot of the post. The way he was alert to the potential of a ball coming through, the way he then managed to take on a ball in his stride that was a little bit short, if you watch that pass back again, it's a touch short, and he just manages to hook his right boot around it and take the perfect touch to bring it into his stride. Then I think he does everything right in terms of his intentions. Open up your body, open up your left foot, not obsessed with shooting with your right, where the angle's not quite there. He he shapes his body, opens up his left foot, and tries to uh, divert it into the far corner. And he's desperately unlucky to see that come back off the post. The other chance he had in the first half, where he was played through, again, angles against him. By the time he receives the ball, he's on the edge of the six-yard box. And... I was having this debate with with somebody at half time. Somebody said to me, no, he, he tried the right thing in terms of trying to chip it over the goalkeeper who obviously came to close the angle. I understand why somebody would think that. I understand why somebody would think, yeah, if you can lift this over the goalkeeper, that's the ideal finish. But the likelihood, the chances of you lifting that ball and getting it up and down in time over a goalkeeper, over a big goalkeeper as well in Sam Johnston, from the edge of the 6-yard box is i think that's really unrealistic really i mean we talk about free kicks sometimes don't we we talk about that the fact that if they're too close to the penalty area that it makes it tough for the taker because if you're going to go over the top of the wall you've got to find a way of getting it up and back down again for me um for me that was an impossible finish i can understand why he thought that that was the right thing to do um what he kind of would have needed to do was lift it maybe over the goalkeeper's shoulder rather than his head Um, because I think that extra couple of inches just makes it difficult, a few inches, makes it difficult to bring the ball back down again. But look, I can see a few people in the comments suggesting that I'm sort of maybe being a little bit negative because of how good Crystal Palace have been at home and, and the fact that actually it shouldn't be taken for granted that you go there and win there. Look, I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'm really, really pleased with the result. And there's a lot of elements of our game that I'm really, really pleased with that we're going to get on to. But I'd be lying if I said there weren't elements of our performance that I was disappointed with and that there aren't things that we still need to iron out if we're going to move forward and, and continue to push Manchester City as far as we possibly can. Then, of course, the second half started. No changes from either side and Arsenal get the penalty kick, um, which... Martin Odegaard manages to convert. Uh, he converted it on 54 minutes, so less than 10 minutes into the second half. And actually, I thought that was coming. I thought Arsenal looked a, a lot livelier at the start of the second half than they did at the end of the first. I think Bukayo Saka was getting more involved on the right hand side, taking people on more, being that little bit sharper in doing that. Um, The interchanges were good. Um, Partey was getting forward and supporting. You saw Declan Rice at times go out there and help. You saw um, Kai Havertz get involved around about the edge of the penalty area and then asked to win the free kick that they do after a foul on Bukayo Saka. It's a really clever free kick. Um, Not only is the taker alert, switched on uh, and able to then execute the pass that's required, but Nketiah just showed the sharpness that although he hadn't scored on the night, the sharpness was clearly there with him because he got into those positions because he was quicker and sharper than anybody else. He got into those positions because he was more alert than anybody else. And then he had the physicality in terms of his pace, speed across the ground to get there ahead of his opponents. He done really, really well to get there and get a touch on the ball before Johnston came out. And listen, there could be no debate around whether or not that was a foul on. Uh, on uh, Eddie and Nketiah. The debate was uh, when it comes to uh, the VAR, and that's the reason they checked, was because, of course, there were suggestions that Thomas Partey had blocked off the Crystal Palace defender. Look, I don't think the Palace defender's getting near Nketiah anyway. He's caught on his heels. Um, Nketiah is far quicker, far sharper, and he's running into a space that he's much closer to. So I don't think that Partey's intervention made any difference. Obviously, the VAR didn't think that either because... The penalty was allowed to stand. And then, to my surprise, Martin Odegaard picks up the ball to take it. Now, I was expecting Bukayo Saka to continue on penalties. Um, I know there's been a debate and questions about that recently, but I thought he would continue um, when it comes to penalties. Martin Odegaard instead took the ball, captain, and he executed it to perfection. Brilliant run-up. Um, in terms of sort of not giving too much away with regards to what his intention was. He sends the keeper the wrong way and he just strokes it into that far corner and then he wheels away in celebration to the Arsenal fans in that Arthur Waite stand there in the corner. Um, And then you think, great, we've broken the deadlock, you know, but there was a part of me that started to think back to the Forest game that thought, right, now we need to kill them off. They're going to have to come out. They're going to have to come and play us now. Whereas up until that point, they'd been sitting with a really low block. At times it was, uh, you know, four at the back with four in midfield. At times it was five in midfield. You look at the way they lined up here. Decore and Lerma were very much out of possession, sitting in front of Anderson and Gaye, trying to mark the space in between the lines that Arsenal like to use. And Arsenal uh, normally do their best work in that. I think limited Kai Havertz to, to get into involved, that limited Martin Odegaard. Um, they were trying to be quite compact in the central areas, which afforded us a touch of space. And you always felt like the only way we were going to break them down was through Martinelli in the first half, He looked quite lively, through uh, Saka on the right, through a drifting to either one of those two positions to create that overload and, and sort of the, give us the extra man. But yeah, it, it just, for me at that point, you're thinking right now, go on and win this, you know, go on and put this game to bed. And we didn't really see that. To be fair to Arsenal, though, I think a lot of that was down to the fact that we went down to 10 men just 13 minutes after taking the lead. Now, I mean, look, let's start with the first yellow card, okay? Time-wasting. I have no problem with players being booked for time-wasting if they're time-wasting. You can tell when someone's time-wasting. You can tell when someone is purposely dragging something out you can tell when somebody is purposely taking their sweet time and you can tell when someone is, is is trying to run down the clock. Takahiro Tomiyasu was not doing that. Now, when I was at the ground yesterday and we were waiting for the interviews, there was a lot of discussion around this because, so the way it works is Mikel Arteta will go and do the TV interviews first because that's the guy that they have the TV rights. He'll go there. He'll do the TV interviews. And often we are waiting around for the radio interviews. Now, we'd kind of got word that Mikel Arteta was quite prickly about the whole sending off situation as he had every right to be, by the way. And so it kind of caused a bit of a discussion, a little bit of a debate amongst ourselves. And we looked into how long it took and all the rest of it. Now it took 23 seconds, apparently, for that throwing action to take place. But only eight seconds of that was down to Tomiyasu. And when you look at Tomiyasu, when you watch it back, he's got the ball in his arms. He's in the position, ready to take the throw in. He's genuinely looking left and right, trying to find an option. And actually, when you assess the options that were available at that point, there weren't very many. So I completely understand why he took his time on that. He has taken a yellow card, essentially, because Tommy uh, because Kai Havertz took a while, went and picked up the ball initially, took a while, and then passed it on to Tomiyasu. The referee, David Coote, had told Thomas Partey off for time wasting or taking his time over something just minutes before that. I think those two incidents, I'm not excusing the referee, by the way, please don't take it that way, but those two incidents prior, so Havertz taking his time and and Partey being told off, have riled up the crowd inside Selhurst Park. They've gone crazy at Tomiyasu not dropping the ball or not taking the throw in quickly enough. And they've essentially got Tomiyasu booked. And when David Coote looks back at that, he'll think that's harsh, unless he's a complete moron. He'll think that that's harsh. Okay, so you book him. Fine, right, no problem. Where's the consistency though? I can bet you any money you like, had Crystal Palace been leading the game, there'd have been a lot more time wasting than what you saw from the Arsenal. No question about that in my mind. Over the course of the weekend, there was tons of time wasting. Over the course of the weekend, we saw cards for dissent. Didn't see that when Crystal Palace players were going crazy at certain decisions. You know, it's the lack of consistency around all of it that makes it even more infuriating than it should be. Um, and so anyway, he's on a yellow card. Right, fine. I think when you give someone a yellow card, you got to, and then you're considering giving them a second one, you've got to pause for a moment and just think about what those yellow card offenses are. If Takehiro Tomiyasu made a cynical challenge that is what led to him picking up his first yellow card, you go, okay, that's one. And if you deem the second one to be a really cynical challenge, then you go, okay, that's number two. Off you go. And I ain't got a problem with that. But I've got a problem with you getting to the point where you're showing a red card based on nothing incidents. Somebody will check the stats, and, and somebody might tell me I'm wrong. But I genuinely do not remember Tommy Asu committing a single foul in the game up until that point. I can think of a few players that committed a few leading up to that point that never went in the book. Obviously, David Coote thinks that Tommy Asu has pulled back on Ayu's shirt. Why? Because Ayu's thrown himself to the ground, Tom Daly style. That is as as blatant a dive as you'll ever see. He's felt some kind of contact. And if you watch it back again, Tommy Asu doesn't pull at his shirt. He literally touches his back and pulls his arm away immediately. And that leads to IU throwing himself down to the ground. It's honestly, it's an embarrassing state of affairs. First of all, you didn't need to book him for time wasting because that's not what that particular individual was doing. Secondly, you've got it horribly, horribly wrong with the second one if you think that that is a foul. And thirdly, surely any referee with common sense, I always used to think, I don't anymore, but I used to think that referees used to go out on a pitch and would look to try and keep a lid on a game, keep it as fair as possible. There would be situations where players would put them in a position where they have no choice but to reach for their pockets. But I always thought that a referee would want to keep all 11 men on both sides, all 22 men on the pitch throughout the duration of the game. If I was a referee and I've managed to, you know, put my stamp on a game, keep a lid on it, and nobody's really talking about me. I've done my job. Like, my job is to facilitate a fair game. We don't have to be so pedantic, and we don't have to be so picky. And I think a good referee jogs over to Tommy Asso after that second incident, you know, because look, David Koop might have genuinely thought he pulled the shirt, fine. But I think a sensible referee jogs over and goes, that's your last one. And the reason you do that is because the first one was such a nothing yellow card. That's how I see it. Instead, he hasn't given him a final warning. He hasn't done any of that. He's literally desperate to pull out the card, wave it. And and I just think it's all pathetic. And I can't believe that there are people out there that say that that was the right decision. It's an absolute nonsense. Crystal Palace also had a penalty appeal turned down. Um, Eze inside the penalty area, weaving his way in between a couple of Arsenal players. Thomas Partey did dangle out a leg, but very, very quickly pulled it back away. And for me, thankfully, the VAR got to the right decision on that when they were uh, checking that situation. But yeah, I I just think the standard of officiating in this league um, is getting worse and worse and worse. You know, it's, it's inexcusable at this point. And, you know, in the past, referees and officials were always able to hide behind this this notion that, well, they're only human and I get that, right? I get that. I understand, but it's getting worse. And the problem is with it getting worse and you having VAR in place, it makes it inexcusable. It means that any sort of sympathy that people might have had for a referee in a fast paced, fast tempo game where they might not have seen something, the angle might've been against them. Someone might've been blocking their view. All of that sympathy is gone. And another thing that is a nonsense is that when it's a second yellow card, VAR can't intervene. A second yellow card, which leads to a red card, is a game-changing decision. Why does that not fall within the remit of VAR? Because I guarantee if a sensible video assistant referee took a look at that, they'd have told David Coop, mate, he hasn't pulled him, you know, he hasn't given him that tug that maybe you think you saw. And ultimately, Arsenal stay with 11 players on the pitch. Mikel Arteta was really unhappy about it post-match. I think we all got that impression from him. And rightly, rightly so. Um, I think for Arsenal, what ultimately allowed them to get over the line in the end and, and made sure that Crystal Palace were, were very limited in terms of what they could create was some of the changes that Mikel made. I think you've got to give him his props here because... You know, for a a while, I think a lot of Arsenal fans have felt that maybe one of the areas in which Mikel could improve is is just that in-game management. That it's not always been as good as it should be. It's not always been um, at the level of the very, very elite um, managers in the game. I've said to you guys over the last few months that I do think that this is improving, Um, and I do think that there would have been a reluctance on Mikel's part to bring people on in games and throw people in when. He didn't trust necessarily the options that he had on his bench, but you look at it now and you look at that squad and you look at what we were talking about earlier on, which was, you know, it's better. It's more improved. You know, there are players there that I think he looks at and thinks, yeah, I can trust you to come on and do a job. And that will make him less reluctant to turn to the bench and make those changes that can have positive impacts on games. Gabriel coming on obviously was, in reaction to tommy asu being sent off martinelli was the one sacrificed and actually once gabriel came on i did see at times bukayo saka coming over to the left and and filling in as kind of a left back and making it a back five when arsenal were out of possession saka's got that in his locker he's played in that position before not for some time and it's certainly not his best position in my opinion. But, you know, you just saw that adaptability again from one of our players that you'd associate with being in the front line all the time. 79 minutes, Nketiah came off. The next sacrifice, Havertz was pushed up front at that point. Jorginho uh, coming on and just giving us that little bit of ability to to hold the ball. Um, A little bit more of a defensive-minded midfield player uh, to sit alongside Rice. Uh, Obviously, Partey was still covering in the right-back position at that point. And then, uh, late on, Kivior came on to replace Saka to go into that left-back role that Saka had been filling in at. Um, And then, of course, uh, Zinchenko came on to replace Martin Odegaard. And all of a sudden, you looked at that side and you had seven or eight defensive-minded players there ready to get us over the line. And look, it's always risky to sit on a one-goal lead. It's always a dangerous thing to do. But if you're going to do it, you want to have the right players on the pitch. And at the end of the game, Arsenal had that. And once Jorginho was on and Zinchenko was on, who's also a really, really good ball player as well, Arsenal managed to get hold of the ball a little bit more and just see the game out in a much more comfortable fashion. Gabriel was superb when he came on as well. Um, So dominant in the penalty area, so physical, made a couple of really good blocks, shut the door on a couple of Crystal Palace players that were looking to drive into the box. You could see what his... Uh, clearances uh, meant to him, um, celebrating them with Aaron Ramsdale and and William Saliba, who was immense as well. We're going to do some individual player reviews in just a minute. But overall, as I say, a resilient performance, a good, strong performance from Arsenal, and ultimately the three points that they were wanting going into the game. Are we at our best yet, though? No, we're not. I think we're quite far from it. And that can be worrying or that can be exciting it depends on what way you want to look at it. it depends through which lens you want to view it but I think take the points let's go and beat Fulham next weekend at Emirates Stadium uh, and we go on from there um, right going to take a really really short pause and then we'll be back to uh, review some individual player performances then we're going to take some of your questions be back in just a moment <music> Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Do you know what we'll do? We'll just check in on the likes. Uh, Where are we at in terms of likes at this moment in time? Uh, 100 on the board. There's no reason why we shouldn't have 500, looking at how many of you. Uh, i've been watching this stream so far this morning don't forget uh, to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already that really really does help don't forget to leave us a review if you're listening on audio i had a couple of you message me about members content we've got a piece dropping tomorrow which is gonna come after i've watched the game back in full because i really want to do an in-depth analysis of this system of this iteration of the Arsenal team with Partey sitting on the right-hand side and going into midfield. And I'm going to come up with the pros and cons of that system uh, so that we can try and understand it a little bit more. But I need to watch the game back in full. You can't do something like that off the back of highlights. So I'm um, looking forward to that. That'll be with you guys tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that. If you want to become a member on the Another Slice platform, you'll get access Uh, to our members content. The link is in the description below. You'll be supporting me to provide you with more content. You'll also be supporting the great Ormond Street Children's Hospital as well. Anyway. um, Oh, yeah. One more message, actually, before I forget this. I am going away. Um, I am going away on Thursday morning um, off with the family uh, to the lovely Greek island of Crete. We're going out there for a wedding. Best man duties call. And we're making a bit of a holiday out of it. I didn't get to go away in terms of as a holiday uh, over the summer. I'm really tired. I need it. Um, I need that refresher. And I need to spend some time with the kids as well. Um, work has, has, has taken over my life, which is a great thing. I'm not complaining that I'm busy, um, but it, it is needed. Um, not ideal that it's during the season. It's had to be timed with the wedding. You know, if it was my wedding, it wouldn't happen during the season. In fact, I changed my wedding date because of football, but we'll uh, leave that story for another day. But just to give you um, a heads up, the last piece of content you'll get is probably going to be tomorrow. Um, I might might do something short from Crete off the back of the Fulham game because I am going to watch the Fulham game, but then I'll be away until deadline day. So I'm going from Thursday to Thursday. Um, and I'm going to try and stay off of my phone as much as possible. I'm going to keep across the news, you know, refresh it once a day, have a little read, have a little look. But I really do need a break um, and uh, and some time to to unwind. So just a heads up, the content will dry up temporarily. But I promise I'll make it up to you over the course of the season. Archangel says, uh, why aren't you going to Cyprus? Because the wedding's in Crete. <laughs> Otherwise I would have gone to Cyprus. Um, Cyprus is my number one. It's the it's home. It's the motherland. Um, but yeah, the wedding's in Crete. Crete is just as nice, by the way. Um, so I, I'm not complaining about going there. It's a fantastic place. I went a couple of years ago, I think. Um, but yeah, cool. All right. um let's do some individual player performances. then let's talk Eddie and Ketia We touched on it briefly, but I thought his energy was excellent. I thought the runs he made were really, really intelligent. I thought the intensity with which he played was was really positive. And although, as I say, he, he missed a couple of good chances, I think he was key to us breaking Crystal Palace down eventually. Obviously, he won the penalty, which was pretty big in terms of the outcome of the game. So I want to give Eddie Nketiah praise. I know people will look at it from the other side and say, well, you know, he had chances um, and he should have taken them. Are you convinced that Jesus would have taken them? I'm not. And that, and that's kind of the point here, right? It's We're always looking at Nketiah and going, well, you know, what are you doing? Um, you know, w- what is your level? Where are you? Um, why aren't you stepping up? Why aren't you scoring tons of goals? 14 goals in 16 Emirates Stadium starts from Eddie Nketiah, by the way, uh, which is pretty positive. We don't have a clinical, clinical striker in this squad, full stop, in my opinion. And it, 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 I find it weird that when Jesus doesn't score, everybody talks about his build-up play and how great it is, which it is. Eddie Nketiah build-up play is improving and was really good last night, yet people want to talk about the missed chances. That same narrative wouldn't be wheeled out if we were talking about Jesus and he missed those chances. So yeah, look, as Travarelli says, he won the pen. He scored last week. Can't complain about him right now. Uh Who where is it? Archangel says, break? You've had two months off. No, I bloody haven't. Um, Arsenal have been so busy in the transfer market. We've been bringing you daily podcasts. Where was the break? <laughs> um, Anyway, Uh, Let's talk Declan Rice. This was the highlight of last night for me. I know it's taken me an age to get to this, but I felt it was worthy of a section. Declan Rice was the best player on the pitch last night, was the Declan Rice that we were all hoping to, to see, the Declan Rice that we paid 100 plus million pounds for. And for the first time, we got to see him functioning, I think, at close to 100% in an Arsenal team, and my God, it excited me. He spoke himself post-match about how he really felt up for it going into the game, about how his attitude was right, how his mentality was right, and how he he felt like he was in a place where, having learned a lot on the training ground under Mikel Arteta, having understood better what it is that the team are looking to achieve, what the manager's looking to achieve, he, he now feels more comfortable in his own skin. I felt like his performances in the community shield in, um, in the game against forest in, in summer preseason were just a little bit reserved, not bad reserved in that he was still finding his feet. And I kept saying to you guys that we're still going to see more from Declan Rice. Like we're not at the point yet where we're seeing his best. And now we're in a place where, you know, we saw what the fuss is all about, really, yesterday. I thought offensively and defensively, he was imperative to everything we did. I think he imposed his physical dominance. He looks fitter, looks sharper. Remember, he was carrying a bit of a knock in preseason, which meant that he wasn't maybe as as far down the progression line in terms of his condition as some of the others. But I, I'm I'm so excited. Like Declan Rice has played as a six, played as an eight. But for me, he is a six. That's his best position in order to get him and Partey in the same team at certain times, he's going to need to be adaptable and flexible. And I trust in him to be that. And I trust the more that he plays the eight role, which is a little bit out of his comfort zone, in my opinion, the more he's going to understand it, the better he's going to be at it. But just to see him last night help us out so much defensively, also get into forward positions offensively. Sometimes in this Arsenal system, it's not just about getting on the ball and taking people on or the final pass, sometimes occupying the right spaces can help us unpick a defense. And and he did that really, really well. I I just, yeah, I was so blown away by how good his performance was yesterday. I looked at him and I just thought, you are a brilliant player. You are a Rolls Royce of a midfielder. And I can understand now why Arteta um, wanted the club to go as far as they did to, to do that deal, 100 plus million pounds. And I think over the course of the season, you're going to say worth every penny, particularly when you look at how Moises Caicedo started life at Chelsea the other day. £115 million. Jesus Christ. Um, Okay, William Saliba, also superb, I thought. Really, really, really good. Um, I talk about Rolls-Royce of a midfielder. Saliba is the definition of a Rolls-Royce of a centre-back. Excellent performance from him again. I thought he deserved to call him out. I thought him... Rice and Nketia were my three standout players last night in terms of doing their jobs to the best of their ability. Again, room for improvement with all of them still, but I think they were difference makers for Arsenal last night. Um, Rice and Saliba contributing defensively and Nketiah contributing offensively in terms of what it ultimately took to win the game. The other player I want to talk about, though, um, before I take some of your questions, start getting your questions in, by the way, fill up the chat box, put a queue at the beginning. It really, really helps. Um, Kai Havertz, again, as comes as no surprise, divided opinion. And again, it it kind of circles back to that point I just made where where you, you don't always need to be the guy on the ball in this Arsenal team to be effective when we're trying to break down a low block. Sometimes it's as simple as being in the right position. And I thought particularly in the first half, he got into some really good spaces and he combined quite well with Gabriel Martinelli. I think the team... Post the Tomiyasu sending off, struggled generally in the second half. Um, Havertz not immune to that criticism. I thought everybody was just a little bit under it at that point. But understandable, we had 10 men. And obviously, when you go down to 10 men, it's not ideal having Havertz and Odegaard on the same pitch. Because, okay... They work hard and they press statistically and all the rest of it, but none of them are necessarily defensive-minded players. So I think that didn't help in terms of the perception of Havertz's performance. And then right at the end of the game, he went up front. Um, When Enketia came off on 79, uh, Havertz went up front for the remaining 11 minutes of the 90 and then the seven minutes of stoppage time. So almost 20 minutes um, and had to hold the ball up on a couple of occasions just to help us get out uh, when we were being pinned back by Crystal Palace. And I thought he did the role okay. Was it a was it a brilliant performance from Kai Havertz? No, a bit like how I felt about Declan Rice a couple of weeks ago. There's still a lot more to come, but it wasn't a bad performance. And I, and I really get annoyed with the fact that it just feels like with Declan Rice, people are just wanting desperately to get their knives out. Like people cannot wait to get on his back. People cannot wait to criticize him. It drives me absolutely bonkers. Like He had a, an okay game, okay? That that was it. And I understand that he cost £65 million. Pounds, and I understand that there was question marks around whether or not that was the right sign-in. But Mikel Arteta clearly had this idea in his head of playing in a certain way, of exerting dominance on opposition sides, of, of territorially um, controlling certain areas of the pitch. And, and Kai Havertz is important to that. If he wasn't, Mikel wouldn't be picking him. You can't say Mikel's brilliant, he's doing a fantastic job, and then be like oh my God, Kai Havertz should never be anywhere near this team. Well, there comes a point where I think as fans, you kind of got to trust the manager a little bit. Sometimes you've got to trust that there might be something, there might be an element of Kai Havertz's game that is important to the overall plan that maybe we don't see. We're not coaches. You know, some people in the chat said to me in the past, they're coaches. You're a coach of an under 11 side um, on a Sunday league. You know, how many of us are elite level Premier League coaches? Not very many. And so that's why I think we need to, yeah, say our bit, and that's fine. But I also think we have a responsibility as supporters to support. And it feels like there are a lot of people out there that cannot wait to criticise Kai Havertz, and it it upsets me. It does not not because I'm Kai Havertz and I'm getting emotional, but because I just don't want that kind of that kind of negativity around our football club. We worked so hard to get rid of it. Um, I don't think we need it right now. You know, if we had lost last night, you might have looked at it and gone, well, you know, you you wouldn't have blamed Kai Havertz specifically unless he played a massive role in that. But you'd have looked at it and go, gone, maybe that wasn't the right decision. Maybe we didn't have enough control in midfield because Havertz was there. Maybe we could have done better had we had Rice and Partey in midfield with Odegaard being the more advanced of the three. You know, there's, you know, and in that instance and in that case, I'd say, OK, you got a point. But, You know, I I, I don't think that there's any reason to be critical of him, if I'm being honest. Right. Let's get your questions. Let's get your thoughts in the live chat. Lots of Havertz thoughts coming through. We'll touch on some of those before we dive into your questions. But do get them in. Going to take a very short pause and we'll be back. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, Rafael Lim says Havertz is gradually growing in confidence after a relatively underwhelming time with Chelsea. Uh, Travarelli um, says, I can see the arguments against Havertz, but I just trust the manager. I think, I think, yeah. I, I, and again, it's fine to see the argument. And I don't have a problem with people saying, I'm not really sure about what Kai Havertz is bringing to the team at the moment. People used to say that about Granit Xhaka all the time. What I have a problem with is people going, effing waste of money. What have we done? Why have we bought this guy? He ain't good enough. All the rest of it. People writing him off two games into the season, basically is what I have an issue with. Charles says, uh, when Trossard is playing as well as he is, you can understand why some people are a bit miffed at how it's been in the team. Valid point, you know, and that, and that's an argument that I think has legs. You know, the argument that Leandro Trossard deserves to be in the side ahead of him at this moment. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Noonan says, It's not so much about whether he played, it's about shoehorning him into the team to the detriment of the first 11. Trossard is better equipped and we looked more fluid last year. Trossard wasn't starting games regularly last year, though Martinelli was the man on the left. Trossard would come on sometimes in midfield when we were chasing a game. But Trossard wasn't a go-to for Mikel Arteta. It was a go-to off of the bench. And that's why I don't understand why everybody's so like, oh, we need Trossard in the side. Yeah, Trossard has an impact. Doesn't score enough goals, Leandro Trossard. Um, very good when it comes to assists. And, and obviously that that weighs in his favour. But there's a there's a physical difference as well between the two of them. Look at the size of Kai Havertz and look at the size of Leandro Trossard. And people are going to say, I'm being sizest, But that will be part of the reason that Mikel trusts Havertz in a midfield position and probably doesn't trust Leandro Trossard. We think that he is shoehorning him into the team because we saw a certain setup last season and we expected that to continue the setup is different. The setup has changed. At least in these first two games, it's a different model to what we'd seen previously. And obviously Kai Havertz is seen as a, a key part in that model rather than a player that is being shoehorned in. Mikel Arteta is not the type that will pick someone just because of, of you know, pressure with regards to how much he cost, right? Arsenal bought Nicolas Pepe in for £72 million and Mikel Arteta didn't want to know. So I don't think that is what this is. I think this is, a new system, a new approach. Um, Is it an approach that we're going to persist with? Is it one that will be wheeled out in certain games and put back in the cupboard against other opposition? Time is going to tell us that. But I don't think this is a a shoehorning in of a player. I think this is something that Mikel Arteta sees as being key to the way he wants to play. Uh, Raf says... Why is everyone so upset about the new formation? Are people not noticing how dominant we look when we have eleven men on the pitch? We're still missing first team players. This is Champions League level football. I'm not upset about the formation. If it works, I'm I'm as happy as Larry. All it is for me is that I think there are I think there are things that it gives us, and I think there are things that it takes away from what we saw last season. I don't think we move the ball as quick like this. In in wanting to be more dominant, we've become a bit more Manchester City-esque in that, you know, we move the ball a lot. We move it a little bit too slow at times. We get a little bit comfortable. We allow people to get back into their positions and sit down. And and it's more like a game of chess, whereas last season we could do that with Zinchenko coming into midfield. But we could also be that little bit more explosive as well and and that little bit sharper in what we were doing. It's a slightly different approach, but... As I say, there are positives and negatives to that. And if you want to hear a, a deep analysis of that, pros and cons coming your way, sign up to the Chronicles of Aguna on another slice. The link is in the description below. Um, Amira says, uh, so are we going to get the, is he getting sold every time someone we like doesn't start? Are we selling Zinni, Raya, Trossard now? We ask for rotation and we're getting it. We're only two games in. This is it. Like y- You want a bigger squad right that was something that we all bemoaned last season the fact that we didn't have that bigger squad that we didn't have those options with that comes the need a to rotate because you need to keep people happy rotation should be a positive because it should keep everybody fresh it should keep competition strong within the group but yeah also that means that you're going to be able to shake things up and so you should and so you will so I agree with you. Like, as I said to you, I've said it throughout the summer, man. There's been so many rumors about certain Arsenal players that have been born out of convenience that have trended because of the timing in which they were dropped. That Gabrielle story. If it came out at midday yesterday, it wouldn't have had half as much traction as it did coming out at 7pm. Once the team news had dropped, these people know what they're doing. They're playing a game, a very clever game. Yet, You know, if if you work in this business and I think if you follow football closely enough, generally speaking, you should know when that's happening. And for Mikel to shut it down, for Gabriel to come on and have a storming performance, I think it kind of just puts that to bed as well, um, to be honest with you. Uh, What else have we got in the chat? Um, What did I want to say? I just wanted to say about the likes again. Yep, come on. Let's get the likes up, guys. Let's get it to as many likes as possible. Smash the like button. It really, really does help. Um, Charles says I'm being sizist but listen, it's a thing in football, right? There are certain players of certain physical profiles that you trust in certain positions, and there are others that you don't. Um, Fuad says, "What did you make of the penalty? I can see why it was given, but when Eddie was tackled, the ball was knocked on quite far from him, almost out of play by the time he was fouled. Now, for me, that's that's Stonewall. You know, a goalkeeper comes out, throws his hand out, doesn't get the ball." Uh, it's never been an issue as to where the ball's going. It probably should be. It should be factored in, I think, generally speaking. But given the way that the game's are refereed now, I think David Coote had to give that. don't think he had a choice. Uh, big hello to Zoe, who joins us from Ireland. Hope you're good. Hope you're well. Uh, we'll do a bit of that at the end. We'll find out where you guys are tuning in from. That's always interesting to me. Um, Charles says, uh, what do you make of playing four right-footed players in the back line? Yeah, it's it's a little bit imbalanced. I think it's a little bit of an issue. I think it's a little bit of a problem. And it's not the ideal situation, right? You know, Timber was filling in at left back because Zinchenko was unavailable. Tomiyasu was filling in because Timber's unavailable. I do think that when he's fit, Zinchenko comes back in and should come back in as the left back. And there you've got the um, the left-footed player in that back line. Uh, to help, obviously, Gabrielle would be in my first choice back four as well. So then you've got two and two. Um, but it's just the personnel that Mikel's using at the moment. As well, you've got to remember as well. The other thing, you know, I know it's the beginning of the season. We can't use this excuse forever, but players are at different levels in terms of their fitness. Some of them have better pre-seasons than others. And that'll be a factor in the selections in the early season as well. Okay. Nishith says uh, one disagreement with Harry equals one like. If that was the case, mate, we'd have millions of likes. Um, but it just doesn't seem to happen. (laughs) Um, right. I think I'm going to leave it there guys. Um, my internet's been shaky again today. I'm waiting for an engineer to come out. Hopefully by the time I get back from holiday, um, they'll be able to come out and sort it. Um, so I don't want to push my luck too much, but we've been going for the best part of an hour. Uh, big thank you to everybody for tuning in as always remember like subscribe remember uh, check out the another slash platform for premium content members only content next piece of which is dropping tomorrow Um, and yeah um, have a nice day I guess Uh, have a nice week Um, as I say I won't be around for the Fulham game I will be watching it from afar probably be tweeting some nonsense about it and I'll try and do something brief after the game if I get the opportunity but as I say need some downtime badly um and not just me i think my family need it as well i think my kids need me to spend some time with them as well um particularly my little boy um i don't know he's i, I he's always wanting to do stuff with me and i'm always working and i always feel guilty about that so i really want to spend the week just chilling with him and 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 Doing whatever he wants within reason, obviously. Uh, thank you guys so, so much. Thank you for all your kind messages uh, about my appearance on Sky Sports News earlier as well. And I'll be on the social on TalkSport 2 uh, from 3 to 5 p.m. with Adeola Oladipo. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of Arsenal talk during that as well. Until next time, take care of yourselves and I will see you soon. Up the Arsenal. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.